destino para ti lo que viniera de ti. Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 41 for Sunday, February 23rd, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And today we are and talking about historical memory. Yep. So this, this idea came up in last week's show, but it actually came up from some of the material that I had to cut out. So in every week I, I do a little bit of editing on the episodes and try and make them nice and concise. So one of the things that I had to leave out from last week's episode was a tangent that, that John went on that I thought was really relevant, but not to that particular, not to last week's episode. Uh, John was talking about historical memory and uh, I, I think we'll start with that but then he was also talking about how that how the memory of the war still is very uh, present in in modern El Salvador. So that's just a little bit of the context. And and John, do you want to maybe share a little bit about this this idea of historical memory from from the way that you understand it? Yes. So I I had literally never. I mean, I'm a history major, right? From college, and I had never heard that term before, and uh, we heard it a lot when we were in El Salvador. It's a very commonly used phrase, and my understanding is that historical memory refers to the collective narrative that a society has about itself. And El Salvador, I think the reason you hear this term there, and not here, not that things, not that there aren't plenty of political disputes about what type of country the U.S. is. Um, but I think that it's just much more acute there. It's a country that's, you know, coming 20-some years out of a civil war where everything can be in dispute. And the point that you made was that our civil war is, you know, hundreds of years out, um, and we just, it's, and, and it's it, not as relevant. And in the South, they refer to it as the War of Northern Aggression, and it had nothing, in, you know, I'm generalizing. And and uh, it was about protecting your home and not slavery, right? I'm generalizing. And in the north, it was um, a different thing altogether. And it wasn't right. a thing altogether. Right. <laughs> but um, but the point is, like, you know, these facts are still in, you know, different segments of society and cultures treat them different ways, even 150 plus years later, right? And we're talking about a society that had had a, a very disruptive war 20 years ago. Right. And in last week's episode, you talked about how there was a lot of contention around the disappeared and that when Ralph Sprankles and, and Pro Buscada was being founded, that the, the record of the disappearance was something that both sides just didn't want to talk about because it was, you know, uh, very, um, it, it wasn't something that that you brought up uh, because of one, this. One of the yeah, one of the things after the war, after the peace accords, one of the things that they tried, the one of the things they instituted in the country to try and bring healing and come to terms with what had happened was was a truth report, right? And this was supposed to be a general accounting of um, of some of the wrongs that were done, the atrocities. 
um, and, they, and a lot got in there, but to some degree it was also a political document, and both sides had an interest in not addressing the issue of children disappearing. Even though there were between one and 2,000 children who disappeared. You know, we've been talking about Act 3 and how it's, you know, and I think this is at the center of that act is the two sides, right? That's why you're calling it FMLN arena, because that sort of, the goal is to highlight these contentions. Those are the two large political parties and voices since that have helped shape, well, I'm sure there's, there's more, those are the two political parties that have really shaped the country since the war. Right. The, the church has shaped the country, other, other elements have, but political parties, those are the two. In last week's episode, you were talking about the military records and how that even today, it is a very um, hot topic or one that is uh, coming again, you know, just a few days ago in the media. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what exactly happened and how that ties back to some of the things that we saw in, in 2011. Sure. Last week, the Supreme Court ruled that that the military has to release documents in, um, in regards to some massacres. Um, massacres that occurred in the early 80s. Um, so that's 30 years ago. For 30 years, these, these records have been undisclosed. And, and um, even though the court has ruled it, we'll see what happens, right? Um, these, these are still topics where people who are involved with the massacres are, the people who committed the massacres are alive. Um, and often in positions with power, and so it, you know, these things are still uh, hot topics. Well, that goes back to something that that we've talked about before, which is the. Um, you have to help me with who exactly this was, but it was in one of the documentary films that we watched, where a, a former Arena Party member was saying. You know, let, we've moved past the war. Let's not open, reopen these wounds of war, and where one side of the country is really pushing to leave it all behind, to leave the atrocities and everything that bad that happened in the past. Often, the argument is that it will destabilize the country if you keep bringing these things up, right? Um, and that that was the CBC documentary about Probuskita. The Canadian Broadcasting Company, I think it's a show called Witness, maybe. Um, it's like their public television, and they interviewed a general, and he was basically like, why do you keep bringing things up? You're rubbing salt in wounds, and it's it's not a, a forward step, basically. And, and they committed atrocities, too, and they had child soldiers on the other side. I think he's arguing that this is, we're better to, to uh, sweep this under the rug and focus, or or maybe the way he'd put it is focus on other things. Um, I think we both feel like, well, if you can't if you can't address this, how can you address anything, right? And and the other part of that is, uh, you know, like we've talked about this as well, the interview with Suyapa. And when you're watching that, which comes in Act Four, and um, but the interview with Suyapa, you can see that this is very real for her that that it, it feels like it happened yesterday so on one side you have you know people in power saying let's move on and on the other side you have the families of the disappeared who 
still feel the the pain of of the of missing loved ones and i think this also ties in with our episode about a promise to the dead and how disappearances are one of maybe the worst punishments because there's no closure not only the pain of missing them but the pain of not having any answers right right yeah it it's well i guess i talk about this as well you know there's no grave there's no uh way to remember family members you're just sort of uh my, my mom compared it to missing in action soldiers who have died missing in action you know there's no record no closure you don't know what happened and it's just this ongoing sense of loss and if you you compare it to that and and at least the 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 loss part of it right not how people died often these people weren't engaged in military action they're innocent civilians or children but if you compare it to that look at the way our military treats M, uh, missing in action. We, uh, we do everything at our disposal to find them and bring them home and bury them. And uh, so this, this argument of, well, we just need to move on runs counter to that ethic within our own military. Um, and uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how you ask that to people, right? It's, it's, it's inhumane, it's, it's, it's grotesque to just say we should just move on, in my opinion. Right. So how else did you did you feel this idea of, of historical memory played out w- with our week trip in El Salvador? Well, we were there to really, you know, on the peaks and valleys, it was, it was a nice little hill, right, or, or maybe more, in that, Families and people like yourself who had not received formal recognition ever received a pretty big formal recognition, and we got to participate in that and really got to see a new generation of children being told that it was okay to understand this and that it happened and uh, and being given some materials and tools to put it into their their narrative about their country's history. So I, I thought it was pretty special. Yeah, and, and for me, I think it, it, for whatever reason, I'm thinking of the uh, Museum of... The Word? The Word, yeah, the Museum of the Word that we went to, where you got to see footage from the war. You got to, you got to see images and footage uh, from that time period. And... You know, even I, I guess it's kind of strange because it, it's not that long ago, and it's still something that is present in society in El Salvador, and yet there's this historical museum. You know, so I guess it's a contrast. And even when we went to talk to people on the street, you know, like there's this wonderful bit with this old woman that we stopped to, and I took a picture of her in the street. And we go up to her and ask her, you know, do you remember the, the war? And she goes, oh, yes, yes, we ran a lot. Remember, what, do you rem- what do you remember, Yvonne said to her, right? Yeah. And she's running, like, oh, running. we'd run. We'd run all the time. You know, so it, it's she like. She had a big smile on her face. <laughs> right, yeah. But, it, but it's so, it's, it's, it's not, it is a memory, you know. 
Like it's not mm-hmm. a forgotten memory. It is. It's part of their collective experience in a way that you know y- y- even I can't relate to here. You know. I think it's. I think it'd be interesting, and I think that. I think it'd be interesting to talk about this term that I. Americans are less familiar with, and and I think it's important to talk about. Um, our historical memory of what happened in El Salvador. You know, I mean, I have memories growing up of seeing about death squads on the news and my my family thinking that some horrible things were happening. I think other people on the other end of the political spectrum just would would say any, any um, country that was maybe going to flip to communists, we had to stop, and there was, there was a, a strategic importance to that. I think it's an important message of our documentary that that regardless of of people's political views, they understand the human cost of of uh, a lot of the international conflicts that the U.S. is involved with. And I think we sh- we should have more of a historical memory, uh, a personal understanding of of what it means when we. Are involved in these conflicts. That, well, that, and I think that's how this is very relevant to a U.S. audience. Yeah, and and you make a great point because we don't we don't really have any historical memory of not just the war in El Salvador, but any of the conflicts we've been in, unless you were active service and and you were in those wars. But you know, I'm I'm just thinking about the fact that. When you talk to people here about the war in El Salvador, they've heard bits and pieces of it, but most people, most people's reaction is the same, that they had no idea that this kind of thing was happening or the extent of the U.S. involvement. And even, even my own parents, you know, you go back to the interview we did with, with my mom, the, one of the first interviews, and she said, you know, we didn't know. We, we were sort of naive. and you know, you want to say that you're an informed citizen, but I guess the truth is there's a lot that we don't know. And as you say, hopefully through the film, we'll get to show that, you know, maybe we, we should know more about these things. I also think it's, it's harder for a U.S. audience to relate to the terror and the pain and suffering of a war, you know. Uh, even even the wars we're involved in now, the, one of the great criticisms of them is like one percent of our society fights them, and the rest is told to go to the mall, right? Keep shopping. And I, I I don't think that I don't think that U.S. has a collective narrative or even a consciousness of what happened in Argentina, in Chile, in Guatemala, in Honduras, in um, El Salvador, where people, and, and regarding the issue of our documentary, governments, you know, the government that's supposed to protect and serve a population was, was literally making people disappear in large numbers in, in some cases, and, uh, and the terror and, and what comes with that. And I, I hope that one of the services of our documentary is to contribute to a, a more of a collective consciousness of this historical narrative. No, I mean, I, th- I think I'm talking very sort of forest for the trees. I'd love to hear 
maybe a little of your contributions about the trees, or you know, about um, the 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 the, the personal—I don't know. I, I what does like it I'd mean? I'd love to hear a little bit from you because it, for me, I can I can talk about overarching themes, and I think, but this affected you very personally, and you've had to grapple for a long time with like, how do I tell? I remember like a lot of when we started was you saying, how do I? tell my story and and get people on the same page with me when it's like it sounds like it's from outer space <laughs> to them, yeah. right like it's just something they're like what really no you uh, uh, like there's this hurdle to get over right yeah i guess for me you know looking at the the forest i looking at the individual trees you know, it comes to mind that I've been reading about the election in El Salvador and every few days it seems like there's, a, you know, a certain um, someone in the media is talking about how the FMLN is, is this bad party and mm -hmm. that the U.S. should take a stand against it and and it kind of it makes me a little upset and it's not that they're saying necessarily bad things about either political party because that will always happen but it's more the fact that like i i just feel like we don't have any place at, you know us in the US we don't have any place to be dictating the elections in El Salvador you know like we've done enough to screw up that country stay out of it. You know, it's not your decision to decide who, what party is going to rule in El Salvador, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like this yeah. per, person who's likely to become the president is described as a leftist, right? And, uh, and so you're getting some right wingers in this country and, and specifically people that were involved with the Reagan administration and involved with the war who are making very sharp criticisms of what that means. And, right. and try and be scary about it. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that really bothers me, because it's not, you know, like we've the U.S. has been messing around in El Salvador for long enough, and, and you know, and we know this now. But you know, it's not up to us. It's not up to us to decide what another country. Want, who they want to elect, you know, mm -hmm. and I I still find it odd. I guess that if we're the most powerful and feared country in the world, why are we so worried about what a tiny country the size of Massachusetts, you know, which way their government is going to lead? Mm -hmm. It just and do we really have any understanding of the issues at play there when we make we interpret it through this left and right perspective? You know, but right. for your dad. That just meant he wanted to be able to be a tailor, and now he is, and he's, you know, very entrepreneurial. Like, and yet, to an outsider, he was a communist guerrilla. You know, like, right. And all the images that come with that. One of the prominent criticisms I've, or the most prominent voices I've seen of of this election, is Elliot Abrams from who was uh, who's a neocon. He's from originally the Reagan administration, which other things before that, and I, I just. It makes me mad when I see him open his mouth. 
because he was somebody who very prominently denied that the massacre at El Mazote happened um, in in the early 80s, and that was where a town of over a thousand people was literally wiped off the map in the span of two or three days. And so I just I think that uh, whatever his concerns are, he he's had his say already, and um, and they're without validity. And he was also one of the people who talked about how we'd find all these weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and um, and helped to get us into that war. So I, 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 he's, these criticisms have been taken very seriously and received a lot of press. And I, I think that, and they sort of go through the echo chamber. And I think that the U.S. press should do their homework. Maybe it's time to move on. <laughs> anyway. And and speaking of moving on, I think that's where we're going to end it. Uh, for today. Uh, we're doing this episode kind of on the run. Our schedules are a bit tight this week. If you could just hit share or like on Facebook, that would help us out a ton. It it really helps us get the word out and supports our work. So thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.